everyone, welcome to Compass Teachers Show. I'm your host Tiffany. My job is to interview teachers around the world and tease out their teaching tactics, education research, or tools they use. Hopefully, this show can offer some ideas for you to experiment in your classroom. Today, my guest is Barbie McGuffin. Barbie McGuffin is an English teacher in San Diego High School of Business and Leadership. When Barbie just got out of school, she worked on marketing for a few years, but it didn't feel right for her. So she decided to try teaching, given her innate love for kids. After some observation hours on campus, she immediately knew it is the home for her. Today in our conversation, we are gonna talk about how teachers can do to understand their kids better, and what course curriculum teaching looks like. Barbie, you are a English teacher now.、Mm-hmm. What is your core, like,、um, value or competency that you want to nurture in your students through literature? Oh, that's a great question.、Um, my my core value with anything that I'm doing is to do it with love, always, and.、Um, In English, it's such an easy transition into that because we have so many texts and different things that we can read about. I want every student that I have to feel like they're worthy and like they are loved.、Um, so, in literature or in any type of、uh, reading, writing, expression,、uh, I think that there are. Well, in my classes, what I try and do is make sure I get texts that actually kind of match the lives of our kids. And、um, and that way they're able to see themselves in that and know that I have enough respect for them that we're going to read things that are relevant to their lives, and、um, that then they can go on. And what I've really found is that if I am making sure I'm paying attention to them and their lives, it builds up their confidence in themselves and makes them feel like they can achieve, not just in my class but in other classes in their lives. Um, and of course, it's not just by myself. I work with a really amazing team who help us to build that competency within them. So, when looking to your experience, one thing really stood out for me is how much you care about students' well-being. You taught kids yoga and were certified in mental health first aid. Is there any tools you use for social emotional learning? Yeah, definitely.、Um, So my first thing that I would tell anybody is like, I really hope that if you're going to be a teacher, you have some innate ability to just love, like really truly, because you're going to get some kids who are funky little people, and you have got to find it inside of yourself to legitimately, for reals, love them for the people that they are, or it's not going to be the right field for you because. There's so much going on all the time, and and if you're a high school teacher, especially, or even a middle school teacher,、um, you have a lot of students. You know, I have upwards of, I think I have 200 students, and to find it in your heart to love them all can be really challenging.、Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to like them all because they definitely do some weird things, but you do, you really do have to love them.、Um, and I'm really grateful, like my my parents. Showed me such love my whole life that I was I was very lucky to grow up in a, in an environment like that. So that is a big influence for me.、Um, as far as social emotional learning goes, 
there are going to be, so anybody who's going into education or just starting, there are going to be tons of opportunities um, for professional development in those areas. So getting certified um, in some mental health uh, certifications as it relates to suicide, really, um, for in my case, was just something that was offered at my school. Most people don't sign up to take it. Just sign up to take it. Um, I learned so much. Like I was able by taking that course, which was led by a mental health professional, you know, I learned things that I don't learn in my teacher education. You know, um, I wish we did, but we don't. And so an example of that is like a role play that we did where we had a um, another teacher put a little piece of like a rolled up piece of paper to our ear and start whispering things in our ear while somebody else was trying to talk to us about something that was going on. And we're whispering things like, don't listen to that person. Like they're out to get you and you cannot focus. Like I could not focus on the person who was talking to me, trying to teach me something with all that whispering in my ear. Well, that was my way to learn, you know, if a student is hallucinating, um, if they actually can't learn. And, you know, that's one maybe extreme example but kids have so many things going on, like almost figurative things that are being whispered into their ear all the time. And so take those opportunities just so you can try and have a better understanding, um, especially in the environment that we're in right now and that we've truly been in forever. But we're just becoming more people are becoming aware of our environment right now, um, meaning that different individuals in our society are treated a certain way. If you didn't grow up with that. So I grew up in a very like white neighborhood um, with wonderful parents who were really supportive. And I certainly had like my ups and downs just like anybody else, but I will never fully understand or even kind of understand the experiences of many of my students. And I need to hear them and have things, have them be open to sharing, but also I need to take the time to learn that stuff myself. So like right now I'm reading a book called onward cultivating emotional resilience in educators um by elena aguilar there's so much again available online but take the time to read it and to find the things like it is our responsibility as teachers to make sure that we are looking for different resources and different articles um reading text that um, reading texts that help us to understand our kids. And it doesn't even have to be something that's like a pedagogy book um, or some sort of self-help or self-awareness book. It can be an actual, like a novel that just deals with the experience of what your students might have. Like for me, reading American History with my kids, um, I read it independently first and then, and was able to see some perspectives. Also like The Hate You Give, like any of those kinds of um, books that we have out there right now, All American Boys, and all those are dealing with this, same specific issue of um, police violence against black bodies and then just general um, systemic racism. But that helped me to understand more where they're coming from. And then my students were able to share more. But I think it's really important that we don't expect our students are going to teach us all of that stuff. We have to take the time to learn it ourselves. Um, so Barbie, you mentioned about cross-curricular teaching before and mm -hmm. you say the intention was for project-based learning though mm -hmm. it didn't get it there could you yeah. tell us what is 
cross-curricular teaching yeah, and absolutely. maybe with some example would be yeah, great. Definitely. Um, so cross-curricular teaching is just combining um, or aligning curriculum across different subject areas. So like a really easy one to merge together is just like a humanities block. So like a history class and an English class go together really beautifully. But in true project-based learning, it's all the kids' course, uh, courses and subjects are coming together. So like what they're doing in biology should reflect what's happening in English and math and history and all of those things. Now, we weren't remarkably successful with that <laughs> um, this last year for many reasons. We had a lot of things happen um, mm -hmm. in our school year that just put a, a wrench in that. But, um, but we really tried to maintain some sense of cross-curricular and so I've done this before um, with just history and English when I was teaching more middle school students. And the beautiful thing about cross-curricular is it makes everything just make so much more sense for the kids. Uh, so where they have to, well, if you just think about it for yourself, imagine six classes a day, or my students have eight classes, they have four every day. And that's a lot. So when you go to college, you maybe take four classes in total for an entire semester or quarter. Or if you're like really ambitious, you're like on that five class track or maybe even six, but I truly don't know many people who do that. Well, we're expecting young people to go from one subject to the next in a whole day and be able to like maintain some sense of understanding and just like sanity as they do that. If you ask me to go from math where I struggle intensely and it's going to be a very stressful situation for me to be in a math class and then go to um, an English class, which is a complete shift in my brain. And I might really enjoy that. But right after that, I'm going to biology and now I'm stressed out again and like not wanting to go. And then I have to go to history and I have to go to PE. That is so incredibly stressful. So the more that we can actually merge what's happening between those spaces, the better it is for the kids. So this year, um, we started the year out with them doing a project on sustainability. And they were creating these hydroponic um, and aquaponic gardens. And the idea was to uh, bring that into like an English class. We were going to talk about things like food deserts and um, food security and read things around that and keep it really culturally relevant in their ethnic studies class class that they were taking, which was their history class this year. Um, they would have talked about kind of the cultural relevance with with food and gardening and that sort of thing. And it ended up not um, working, <laughs> but what and that happens sometimes. So like another thing that I would say to anybody who's getting into this career is it is the most um, it is a career that never has any true stability. <laughs> like you never really know what's going to happen. There are so many things that are out of your control. And for us, it wasn't just COVID. You know, we lost a teacher, like many things happened that made it so this didn't work. And you have to bounce back because whether or not something happens, the kids will still be there the next day. They're not going away <laughs> because something there's a glitch in the system. So in the end, um, the last unit that we did before we went on break, because we were really realizing that our students were struggling pretty intensely, um, especially after losing, they lost their biology teacher. There was another uh, hang up in their scheduling. And so it was just, they were really feeling kind of disregarded and 
you know, keep in mind with what I, the demographics I'd already shared, like this is a group of students that often feels disregarded and not just feels it is disregarded. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were trying our best to get back into some sort of continuity for them. So our last unit, we did do um, a cross curricular between their ethnic studies class and English class. And they were learning about the black experience. It was what we, they called the unit in ethnic studies. And so in that class, they learned about the history of black individuals in the United States. And then at the same time in English, they were doing film studies. So they watched um, a few different films to learn about black representation in film. And then, like I mentioned already, we were also simultaneously reading American Street and doing work with that. Um, aside from it making the most sense for the kids, because it kind of eases up on the brain switches that they have to do, it also helps teachers to have a united front. So I really know what's going on in their other classes. And um, that communication allows me to uh, you know, we talk more about the kids, we talk more about their needs, oh, here's what happened in here, like, so I'm not repeating it in this other space, or I can build off of it. It was so nice to be able to say, well, I know in Miss Summer's class, you guys just learned about this, so now let's take it to this next spot. Um, and it allowed us to dig a lot deeper. For students who are struggling academically, this makes a lot of sense for them as well. Um, this is something that helps them to ease into information. So if they didn't get it in Miss Summer's class, and then we kind of refocus our attention on that same topic in English class, then, okay, now I understand it. So getting it from two different teachers or three different or four different or however many there might be will help the kids to really understand. I wonder if a group of teachers wants to try out cross-curricular. Do you have any tips that you can offer so that they can collaborate with each other without too many conflicts like yeah. because like they are like different subject teacher working together yeah. I, I believe they, they all have their own perspective yeah you are <laughs> that is true <laughs> if I've learned anything in my career is that teachers have a lot of opinions especially right. English teachers <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great question so I've been really fortunate in these situations that I've been describing, um, when I was at the alternative school, I was the the English teacher and there was a history teacher. So made, you know, and we were good friends and we were next door to each other. So it was beautiful and perfect. And I would love to work with him like for the rest of my life doing that. But um, here at San Diego High, I really wanted to do this cross-curricular the first couple of years when I was in the School of International Studies. And these points that you're making are huge, right? So there were several teachers who were teaching the same subject because we have a lot more students in that small school than we do the other small schools. Um, So let's say there were like three 10th grade English teachers and three AP world history teachers, which is what those students were taking. First, um, it's really difficult to pair up perfectly with an AP course because they're really working toward a very specific uh, goal, which is that test. Not impossible, like I think the more that those things can merge, the better, like those kids will be much more likely to um, pass those AP tests, but it's hard. Um, Also, as a new teacher, it can be really hard. So I was the newer teacher at the school at the time. I didn't know everybody. There's a lot of senior teachers, like very senior teachers at the school who are kind of in their, set in their ways. So you can always try, you can always go up and say, hey, I'd like to give this a shot. What do you think? You know, 
but be prepared that somebody will more than likely say, no, 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 I got my thing. I'm set. I would say the best thing to help that is to have a really supportive administrator and um, have the administrator step in and say, like, this is what we're going to do because we know that this is what makes sense for kids. I mean, even still like now in business and leadership, again, I have that small team. You know, we have less kids in that school. I'm the only ninth grade English teacher. You know, Miss Summers is the only ethnic studies teacher. Like, it's very easy for us to do that. And in a uh, middle school, it might be a little bit easier. Um, but it has to be everybody on board unless you know for sure that there's only one teacher teaching and they're teaching the same kids that you're teaching, which is very unlikely um, in most secondary school settings. So administration is super important. The best way that I've found to get an administrator on your side is to do a lot of research, to have data to back yourself up. So like with social emotional learning, there is concrete data that shows that if you are, um, that students achieve higher if they are engaged in social emotional learning. Like here's the data, here's the test. So these kids look like our kids, you know, all this stuff. Like this is what makes the most sense for our students because here you go, you know, here's yeah. something to support it. Um, right. That's get on board with you. And sometimes yes. it just doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's worth to try. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is truly, I would say, outside of just like my own personal trying to create a safe space for students, but as far as like true curriculum building and pedagogy goes, it's been the most effective way to get students to be successful is to have cross-curricular. When you were a baby teacher, what is the worst advice you were given? The worst advice? Right. <laughs> okay. I hmm. The worst advice I was given. I so there was there was one teacher who was um who took it upon herself to mentor me and what she constantly did uh, against my own will, by the way, but um, what she constantly would do would compare me to the teachers who had come before me. So I, I haven't been an English teacher this whole time. Well, I have been an English teacher this whole time, but I've also taught some other subjects like art and like I said, marketing. And, um, and especially when I was teaching art, which I had never taught before and um, didn't, I did not feel necessarily qualified to teach it as technically qualified to teach it. But it, again, it was something that was letting me keep my job at the time. And so she was making constant comparisons to the previous art teacher who had been teaching for like 40 years. And it always made me feel so bad about myself and my style. And so that was really bad. Like, don't ever compare yourself. Don't let anybody else compare you to other teachers either. Like something that I've been talking to my friend Liz that I was just talking about, um, is especially in this distance learning, it's become really clear that some teachers aren't holding themselves accountable um, for making sure that they are bringing work to the table, their work to the table um, to make sure their kids are getting what they need. And I understand people have many different situations. And so I'm not necessarily even judging that. But a lot of people want to say, well, that's their style. And there's a really big difference between an individual's style and just not doing your job. And so tap into your own individual style 
And don't let anybody tell you that it's not good enough because it's not what somebody else was doing. What somebody else was doing, just like with anything in our life, may totally not work for you. And it may have worked amazing for that person and the kids may have loved it. But if you're doing something that's outside of your core self, you're not going to be effective at it anyway. So I did learn that lesson early on. And that was bad advice from that person. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's a really great story. Before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to talk about? Sure. So um, that was the worst piece of advice I've ever had. The best piece of advice I've ever had is that the kids will be fine. And I tell myself that all the time. The kids will be fine Um, because we put so much into what we do. And if you are a teacher who loves what you do, then you so desperately want your students to be happy and successful and feel loved. And you know what? Sometimes it's just not that kind of a day, you know, and the kids will be fine. They're completely resilient and they'll be okay, even if we're not okay. Um, The other thing that I would love to uh, share is believe in your students. Please believe in your students. Um, That's another thing that there is actual data to prove that if you believe in your students, they will do better. Um, It's actually the most effective way to make your students more successful and achieve higher is to actually believe in them. And that might mean that you have to like fake it until you really do believe in them, but then fake it because that is what they need to know is that we believe in them and that we care about them. Um, And then my last thing that I'll share is my mantra and philosophy. Um, So my philosophy with teaching is that every child can be successful and success will look different for every child. And then the mantra that my students um, say every day, unless we forget or they like are really not in the mood, is I am powerful, I am present, I expect extraordinary results. We do that one every day. And I just really want the kids to walk away knowing that they're loved and that they're worthy. Thank you for listening. We will put the things mentioned in the interview to the show notes. If you enjoy our show, welcome to share and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.